This is The Guardian. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Happy New Year, everyone. We might still need five televisions for the last day of the season. Just three points separate leaders Liverpool and fifth place Spurs, even though everyone is convinced that Manchester City will still walk it. Arsenal miss out on the chance to go top after a second defeat in a row at randomly impressive Fulham this time. Villa are up to second after a dicey win over Burnley. City ease past Sheffield United while Spurs win over Bournemouth. Looks comfortable on paper but it really wasn't. Some bigger stories elsewhere. Two wins on the bounce for the dying Jedi as Morgan Gibbs-White strokes in a perler and Manchester United lose again. There's a great, not quite enough comeback from Luton at home to Cole Palmer's Chelsea. Wolves batter Everton and Palace beat Brentford in the who should we be worrying about Derby. There's our both sub keeper scoring an absolute worldie. Big news from Nauru. Bigger news from the best player in the world, Salomon Rondon. And a knighthood or thereabouts for one of your favourite panellists. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year to you. Paul Watson, hello. Happy New Year, Max. And Jonathan Wilson, hello. Happy New Year. Uh, Mike says the last time the top five were closer at New Year's Day was in 81-82 when Man City had 34 points, Southampton and Swansea 33, Man United and Ipswich 32. I guess it was two points for a win now. Do we have a title race, a real one? Please ignore that in 1981-82, Liverpool came from 10 back and won the title with a game to spare. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, do we have a title race? How many televisions will I need? One. Well, probably actually none. Because City <laughs> will have won it by mid... <laughs> Mid-April. City's fixtures now could not be kinder. They they don't play another team in the top eight until they play uh, Manchester United on the f- first weekend of March. So you've got two months where, without having to play particularly well, they they should win most. You know, they should win every game for the next two months. And given the fallibility of the other teams at the top, that will give them a lead. They, they have been the great beneficiaries of Christmas in terms of the, the title race. Yeah, Arsenal have fallen away. I think Liverpool look fallible. Uh, I mean, they're all still there, but this was a great opportunity with, with City being away to put a bit of pressure on City and teams just haven't done that. Mm. And they lose no players to AFCON or the Asia Cup, I think. Having Kevin De Bruyne is fit and his hair is luxuriant. <laughs> so we'll get to City uh, much later on. Um, let's start at Craven Cottage. Fulham beating Arsenal 2-1. Mark says, who knew North London has two Spursy teams? City Gunner, who I think there are some Arsenal fans who believe we have a, an agenda against them, says, are you happy now, you pricks? Um, uh, Paul, what did you make of it? 
it was weirdly inevitable, wasn't it? I thought um, just you could just see from a pretty early stage. Well, actually, no, you couldn't. You could see from the point at which it became one all that Fulham were going to nick it. Um, and yeah, there's something there's something very slow motion car crash about Arsenal at the moment. Um, and I don't take any pleasure out of that, despite uh, <laughs> that accusation. I'm I'm actually quite disappointed because I'd love there to be a title race. I've been massively enjoying there being a title race. And for Aston Villa to be in it has been um, surreally brilliant. But um, yeah, I think we, we as a neutral, we could have done with Arsenal not being very Arsenal-ish and just capitulating at this point of the season. And sadly, that's, that seems to be what's happening. Uh, Mikel Arteta said it's a painful and sad day. What happened today, it cannot happen again. If we do that again, we're never going to have the chance to do what we want to do. Today could have been a beautiful day to end the year top of the league. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror because today's performance is the worst we've had this season. That is for sure. Yeah, naught points from West Ham at home and Fulham away is with pretty much your strongest 11 as well, Barry. They're sort of one of the few teams when you can't say, well, they are decimated by injury is not title winning form. Yeah, I thought they would swat Fulham aside. I have to say, I thought they'd bounce back from, wasn't a terrible performance against West Ham, but, you know, they were very profligate and had 30 chances, shots, whatever, and, and didn't score. And then they go 1-0 up inside a few minutes at Craven Cottage, and you think, ah, oh, yeah, grand, they're going to score four or five and have this one by 60 minutes. And that proved very not to be the, much not to be the case. And I, I was surprised by how bad they were and they looked like a team that had run out of ideas and just slinging cross after cross after cross after cross into the Fulham penalty area and very few of those crosses were meeting players in Arsenal shirts and I I think they got exactly what they deserved from the game which was uh, nothing and I, I was surprised yeah, Barney Ronnie writing on that subject about the number of crosses says, look, across the Premier League season, only Luton and Everton have attempted more crosses than Arsenal, but Luton and Everton have a game geared for that kind of attacking energy. And since they beat Luton 4-3, they've won league win in five, scored four. Um, and Barney says the same game rolled out each time and since the opponents have worked Arsenal out, have learned how to keep them at bay a little too easily. Is that fair, Wilson? You know, it's give it to Saka He's doubled up, but he might do something brilliant. Someone might be free elsewhere. Yeah, and I think Newcastle showed the, the blueprints. And there may have been teams before, but that was where I sort of first really saw it. Was they, yeah, they doubled up on Saka and Martinelli. And Arsenal don't, despite having Odegaard there, and I think Odegaard's form has actually been one of the few bright spots for Arsenal over the last, last few weeks. I think, you know, I think he is coming into form. But despite having him in the middle, despite having Havertz, who remains very much in and out, they just don't have creativity through the middle. And they 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 also they don't have one of those players who will just score a goal from nowhere. That uh, it has to be through the process, and if you know what the process is, you can put steps in place to to, to stop that. Um, I I don't know. I just I feel that this might be slightly unfair, but I sort of feel there's been a, a fragility about Arsenal since two thousand and five, since they won that cup final. They probably shouldn't have won in two thousand and five. They they're not a team who respond well to adversity. So when when they start getting frustrated, when things start to go wrong against Fulham, Fulham get a corner. And the last three touches before Bobby de Cordova scores are all of Arsenal players. And then they're all appealing for offside. 
you know, it's, it's sort of a, a it, it just feels like there's a, a lack of the edge you need to, to win titles. And I, I think we saw that towards the end of last season was all that debate. Oh, yeah, have they bottled it? I mean, I think to, yeah, to an extent last season, the limitations of the squad were, were exposed. But there was also, the two things can be true at once. I think, you know, you look at the games at, at Liverpool and West Ham last season um, and they were actually quite similar to the, to the last couple of games. They, they start games well, yeah, you know, suddenly just it, it, it fades away. Uh, so even the, the point they took at Liverpool, when was that, three games ago, four games ago, they started that game really well. First 10 minutes of that game, you thought, oh, actually, they are really good. They, they started that game well and faded. They started well against West Ham and faded. They started well against Fulham, got ahead again and, and faded. Uh, and that seems to be an ongoing thing, that they, as soon as teams come back at them, they, they, they panic a bit. And the window has slammed open, Paul, or gently open, or whatever you, whatever verb you want to uh, not, is that the verb? No, that's not the verb, is it? <laughs> to window. I can't, yeah, to, to window. Uh, uh, yeah, to slam. Yeah, to slam is, is a, that is a verb. Anyway, um, um, the, the clamour will increase for, for an out-and-out out number nine, probably called Ivan. Um, d- do you think they should go and do it? And I don't, I mean, I, I mean that is, that is, I don't expect you to know what is going on with each team's FFP. Yeah, I mean that that's the that's the unspoken. So I saw a brilliant feature where they asked fans of each club what they were hoping for from the window. And more or less every club uh said, Yeah, there's these players we're we're lined up with, would love us to get them, pretty sure we can't get them for FFB. And that was basically the entire thing because nobody understands or, or can kind of work that out. So yeah, I mean, is Ivan Tony the answer? That they definitely they could not have looked more short of striking options at Arsenal, really, could they, against Fulham. It was... I felt quite sorry for Nketiah. He just he just did not look like he would score um, in several weeks, to be honest. Even if the rest of the players left the field, I wouldn't have backed him. Um, so I, I, something has to be done. Yeah, Tony would fit the profile. Can they sign him? I have no idea. You'd have to talk to someone who understands FFP. And if you can find that person, you're doing very well indeed. <laughs> Kieran, Kieran Maguire is. I mean, Kieran Maguire, the Price of Football podcast. Is... Uh, he, he's <laughs> yeah, that guy. Get, get he was very much in demand on. I think it was Christmas Eve. What happened on Christmas? Oh, the yes, Ratcliffe takeover was confirmed, and Kieran Maguire's Christmas was uh, duly ruined. He's a very obliging man. He was on every news outlet in, on the planet. I think, as far as I know, um, it wouldn't be an FFP problem. It might be a don't necessarily have the funds problem. I think Ivan Tony would certainly be an addition to the squad, assuming he doesn't come back from his ban like 25 stone weight and has forgotten how to play football. I presume he's in pretty good nick. I did notice Arse blog, um, Andrew Mangan, uh, he, he reckoned Arsenal could probably do with a, another winger rather than a, a target man slash number nine and he made a quite compelling case. I I wouldn't necessarily agree with him, but um, yeah, that that was his theory, and he he's forgotten more about Arsenal than I will ever know. I like the idea that um, you know Brentford sell Ivan Tony for eighty million, but they say no, you can't see him until we've got the money. Yeah, <laughs> and then he's absolutely enormous. He's in that tight fit Arsenal shirt, and it's like his little belly, his enormous belly rather, is just poking out the bottom, and he's there, and you're like, oh, oh no. Anyway, Mike says, what's going on at Fulham? Can't score for shit for the first 10 games. Two 5-0 wins in a row. Lose to Burnley and Bournemouth, and then beat Arsenal 
2-1 who are title contenders. How has that happened? Wilson, how has that happened? Uh, I think it's probably two players coming into form. I mean, Jimenez looks to be not necessarily back to his absolute peak as he was at Wolves, but definitely he seems to be regaining confidence and that's that's good to see. And I think Tom Kearney's been playing really well recently, getting to the side regularly and he gives them a creativity that, that maybe they, they lack without him. So yeah, I think it's it's for two of them hitting form. Kearney being good, in, you know, being good in the form, they can play him regularly. But for two of them, I'd I'd say there may be more more complex reasons. Um, that that link up down the left, I'm all, however I see it, I'm always impressed by between um, William and Robinson. I think that 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 always looks looks really good. And and I, William maybe was a little bit flat beginning of the season and starting to look look back towards his best again. So, but I think I think it's it's really it's it's Kearney and and to a lesser extent him and Earth. Yeah, and Paulinho, they obviously would be desperate to keep him after being very, I would say, fortunate to keep him uh, uh, in the summer. I mean, well, he's their player, but he was in a Bayern Munich kit, was he? He was definitely there. I don't know how. I don't know how far down the. I don't know if they'd done the sort of Twitter unveil. I don't know if this was the the piece that uh, Paul was referring to, but the the Observer do their their sort of fans. You know, they have a fan representative from each club, and asking them what they want. And the Fulham representative there was sort of, uh, it's almost like the media have a vested interest in selling him. Oh, no, it's just we remember he was literally in Munich. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like journalists kidnapped him, drove him to the airport, hijacked a plane, took him to Munich, dressed him in a Munich kit, and then it, oh, we still couldn't get a deal over the line. That, that was him. He did that. Yeah, I mean, there isn't really the isn't really the money in journalism now to do a stunt like that, is there? Hijack a plane. Uh, it's worth mentioning Raul Jimenez's, I mean, like he took his goal really well, but he also did a sort of Rabona tackle, which is a really nice thing to see. It's a real Eric Lamella vibes to that. I think he was thinking he would shoot and then there was suddenly an Arsenal player there and he was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll just carry on with this. To the City ground, Forest 2, Man United 1. Um, we get a few comments, Barry, saying we focus too much on Man United and like sort of treating every loss like some sort of seismic crisis. And now it's just like a kind of... Well, that's not a surprise. I mean, if anything, the bigger story is here is Nuno coming in, being unlucky in his opening game and then winning at Newcastle and beating Man United now. Yeah, look, obviously you're going to focus on Manchester United and their defeats because they're one of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh, we're men of a certain age who... who They've always been pretty good in my lifetime. And while... Alex Ferguson was there. They were brilliant. And, you know, them losing was always a surprise. Them losing these days is no longer a surprise. I kind of expected them to lose this game, and they duly did. Uh, I think people got a little bit overexcited about their comeback uh, against Aston Villa at Old Trafford in the previous game. It was certainly a, quite a stirring effort by a team we're not used to seeing stirring efforts from. Uh, anymore, but uh, yeah, it was they reverted to type here and lost against the Nottingham Forest team that uh, whose star player Anthony Alanga used to be at Manchester United, and he looks a far better winger than any of the wingers Manchester United currently have, particularly a certain Brazilian one who is proving to be an absolute waste of space, time, money. Um, and, you know, obviously clubs sometimes get rid of players when they're young and comes back to bite them. But, yeah, it, we we will probably get 
grief for focusing on Manchester United shortcomings when we should be maybe focusing more on on the qualities of the team that beat teams that beat them. But the fact of the matter is, they don't take much beating these days, do they? It's it doesn't. You don't have to be particularly good to beat Manchester United because they're very easy to play against. And actually, I I always I almost feel Paul that Man United are in a false a falsely positive position. They're actually too high up the table. When you think about the games they've won, they've been, I can't think of many games where they've comfortably won this season. Like every win has been, they've come from behind or, you know, they've, they've done something. Scott McTominay has done something ridiculous in the last minute. Like they, they could be in like a much worse position. <laughs> could be in a relegation battle. Um, no, I, I don't think that's quite fair because I also think the same thing is exactly what we're bemoaning them for. So I think what really strikes me at the moment is the lack of, I know, I know it's very simplistic, but the lack of fight. It feels so often like when you're, when you grew up, you know, I grew up watching Sir Alex Ferguson's side you you would basically see them 3-0 down at 85th minute and you'd think, yeah, they'll get a draw out of this. And they probably would. But that was that kind of attitude the, t- the team had. At the moment, it just feels like something mentally there is, is, is telling them there's no chance when they go behind. So I think it'd be a bit unfair to bemoan them for the hard-fought results, like the Villa result. I think that was exactly the kind of result that showed what's lacking. And I, I actually did take, from their perspective, quite a lot of encouragement from that. So... I was quite shocked by the the, the Forest um, t- defeat, but yeah, it just it honestly it just feels like a shadow of a club, and it feels like it's problem after problem. And um, I I'm not sure Ten Hag has got what it takes to stick this one out. To be honest, I I'm not seeing a lot of progress personally from from him. But I'm again I'm not an expert on Man United, but I I don't think I'm seeing an awful lot that's changed over the last um, I don't know how long he's been in there, but quite a while really. Camera angles make great goals, and the the angle for uh, Morgan Gibbs White was absolutely perfect to just see that bend round. It's such a a lovely finish. Have you have you Wilson been impressed with what Nuno has done? What has he done that Steve Cooper wasn't doing? It's difficult to say because I, I think yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched the, the two games live, the last two games live, the two wins, uh, and yeah, I, I haven't seen a huge amount of Forest live this season. And they they were quite different games. I mean, you know, the, the the first game, the, that game in St James's, it was it was all. About, I, I guess you know, in in both games, there's to an extent they were, they were sitting deep, using the pace of of Alanga and Hudson Odoi. Uh, but the game against Newcastle, they found you know, Chris Wood was absolutely central to that. Whereas this is more about Gibbs White. And I think whether it's Nuno, Nuno doing this or whether it's it's just United's failing, but United often have a gap just in front of the two centre-backs. So you, you, you know, if you look at how Guardiola teams set up or how Tuchel teams set up, they often have this, this sort of trapezium shape out of possession where they have three defenders, so there's often two centre-backs with a centre midfielder dropping in, and then two other players dropping in, you know, in front of that three to create this sort of 3-2 shape, which you know, it appears over 100 years of football history, if you look, look back at what the WM was, that seems to be a very solid shape to... Stop the counter. You look at United, and not only is it not three two, it's not, you know, it's not even three. It's often two, naught. And Kobe Mainu was was notionally the, the deepest lying centre midfielder in the first half, and he was very rarely in that space. Like he's eighteen, you know, it's 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 it, that's a vital position tactically. It may not be entirely fair to ask an eighteen year old to do that, but. Then to replace him with McTominay rather than to supplement him with McTominay seemed odd. 
that you think if, if that's an area where you've got a, a shortfall, put an extra player there. Don't don't put in there another player. And McTominay, you see him for Scotland. He's a box-to-box midfielder who scores goals from, from deep. To use him as your deepest line midfielder, at the very least, it suggests a failure of recruitment. I think Christian Eriksen just doesn't have the engine anymore. So if you're if you're playing him as sort of the the the, the sort of the second most offensive of the three with um, Bruno Fernandes, he just doesn't get back. So you know, both those Forest goals came from people finding space in that little pocket, sort of twenty five yards from goal. In in the middle now, whether Nuno's deliberately exploited that or whether that's just I think that happened in the game. Yeah, I think we'd need more time to see, but um, that's why they won that game. I think Ten Hag gets to international breaks and like us, is like, ah, oh, I can't watch. I've just watched a terrible England game. I can't watch Scotland. So he has no idea <laughs> that Scott McTominay is, 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 is a box-to-box midfielder. Um, his look of exasperation after the Gibbs-White goal, I don't think he likes his team. I don't know if there ever was a point where he liked his team, but that was, a, that was, like, that was like a teacher who's really sick of his class. And it's like... When have this lot got their GCSEs? When are they, when are they fucking up? I can really deal with that happening soon. Uh, we should talk about Matt Turner, Barry. I mean, after his mistake, which let in uh, Garnaccio and then Rashford scored the equaliser, he actually played quite well. But before that, he was doing everything in his power to stop Nottingham Forest winning the game. Um, and it is, as producer Joel says, should, does he need to watch that Brian Gunn's compilation of goalies just absolutely hoofing it? Neil says, should should John Bruin stand behind him and just bellow, get it launched every time he's, he's tempted to play it with his feet? It's funny, isn't it? I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I'm not angry when goalkeepers play out. I understand why they do. But it is, is interesting how often players who don't look that good at it keep doing it and just keep passing it to remember the opposition quite close to the goal. Yeah, I mean, I presume they're following orders and that's what they've been told to do and I'd imagine there are times and it certainly looked like there were times in that game where Matt Turner would uh, ideally like to have hoofed at the length of the pitch but you know he's not allowed Um, and it's very much a risk reward thing but he seems quite a good goalkeeper in terms of saving goals but he isn't particularly good with his feet and you know, I refer to us, you know, as being gentlemen of a certain age. There's probably a load of listeners to this pod who who don't remember football when you were allowed pass back to the keeper and he could pick it up. You know, and when that law was got rid of, a lot of goalkeepers got seriously found out because they just could not play with their feet. They couldn't, you know, even hoof the ball clear properly. Uh, I think, I, do I remember? I think there was a couple, a few goalkeepers, and I'm not going to name them because I'm not sure if I'm exactly right. Uh, one was a Sheffield United keeper, more or less ended their careers, the, the, the back pass law being amended. And um, yeah, I, I presume it's something you can learn, but it's going to take a while to learn. Yeah. And, and can you afford to let someone learn on the job? Because. Uh, I quite like Matt Turner as a goalkeeper, but yeah, he's a, a nightmare when the ball's at his feet. It is interesting, isn't it? I mean, the football before the back pass law is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that anybody, oh, yeah. like, you know, just go one nil up in the amount of times. There's one, is it Graham Souness absolutely hammering the ball back to, uh, like, 
probably Clements. I don't know. Just no, it's, it's when he's playing for Rangers, isn't it? Is it for Rangers? The famous one when he's in the opposition half and he turns yeah. around and whacks it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the keeper just picks it up. Goes there. You go. Uh, interestingly, so presumably it's Chris Chris Woods. I'm guessing could be Chris Woods. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, Matt Turner did one hoofed clearance that spun up in the air from a back pass, and then he caught it. So I presumed that was a back pass. But Archie's been in touch. Uh, who was listening to us on the radio and me talking about this, saying, you know, Artemax openly got the back pass lol wrong on the radio this morning. The clearance by a goalkeeper resets. Therefore, picking up the ball is allowed. So if you get a back pass and you smash it into the sky but with enough backspin to catch it again, then that's okay. Uh, is it time for Lars to host a Laws quiz to determine who is allowed to comment on refereeing decisions on the pod? I hold my hands up. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at Kenilworth Road. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Luton 2, Chelsea 3. I know Chelsea won this game, Paul. And at times looked like that young side that was starting to gel that, you know, in 2035 would be brilliant. But the story of this game is that late charge from Luton, wasn't it? It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? And um, I I think, again, with Chelsea, um, the amazing thing is how uncertain they can look. And from that position where the game was dead and buried, um, just somehow they look quite fragile. They just look like they could throw it away. Um yeah, and I, I've got to say, Luton, you know, the amount of credit that um, that Luton deserve for, for for bringing it back to, to make it that uncomfortable. And the fact that Ross Barkley scored one of the goals as well was just a nice little, nice little uh, sort of stab in the side as well. Um, but I think I think Rob Edwards is, is doing a brilliant job. And I think he's a very impressive character. I think I think um, on and off the field, I've been really impressed with him. Actually, I live near Forest Green, so he's um, he's remembered very fondly for, for his getting them up. That was kind of the, the first job that made him taking them up, and then he left them in quite acrimonious circumstances and was was really derided That's here. Right. A lot of people here were saying that he was trying to do too much too soon. There was a vision of Val. He's you know he's got he's got too big for his boots, and he thinks he can already go all the way up to at the time Watford. Uh, and obviously that's a three week placement, and then after that he um he went to Luton. So. Yeah, amazing to see how well he's doing because he looked impressive here, but you can never tell how someone's going to gonna fare at the top level. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing, Barry, wasn't it? You know, you sort of had 
Adebayo offside or the offside in the build-up to that goal. Then he hit the bar. Then Ross Bartley scored. Then there's this great save from Petrovic from Carlton Morris. And the second goal, you just think, oh, they just need one more. I think the ball flashed across the box a couple of times. It would have been such a brilliant comeback. Yeah, um, I think Alfie Doughty should have scored one as well. Um, a header that, that he really should have scored. I don't know if he hit the woodwork or was saved. But... Um, the the game sort of transformed for Luton when they brought on um, Tahi Chong and Chidozi Ogbene, and they they just turned the game. Uh, they were hugely impressive, and if I was a Luton fan, I'd be really pleased with the performance. But I would be disappointed they didn't rescue a point, and they, they probably should have got a point, and that would have been uh, hugely bad luck for Chelsea, I suppose. They they kind of got away with that one, but you know it was a win. But but Kenilworth Road is is proving a tough place, as we knew it probably would. But it, it, a lot of big name teams are struggling there. Um, Cole Palmer Wilson hit the feet for Chelsea's third are so. Not, I mean, it feels like England have so many players you could quote build a team around, even though you don't build teams around anyone these days. Like he he's just he is a mercurial talent. Yeah, I mean, that goal really came against him on a play. Uh, so, you know, I was sort of watching that thing. Oh, let me get back into this. And he scores that and you think, all right, it's over. But that, that goal hadn't been coming. So if he hadn't had that presence of mind, the the, the confidence in his feet, the technical ability, then, then Chelsea wouldn't have won that game. Um, so, yeah, from an England point of view, I, I guess at the minute it's probably Saka and Foden in the two wide positions. But it's an area where England have extraordinary amount of strength. That yeah, they they have Grealish, Rashford, Sterling, Cole Palmer. Um, I don't and I don't know whether <coughs> sorry, Wilson emotional about this. I don't. I, yeah, I don't know how significant it is that Chelsea have won the last two games without Sterling. Um, that yeah, Sterling had that that flicker of good form at the start of the season, but every time he. he I think one of Chelsea's problems is they just have too many players like him, like Nicholas Jackson, who seem to panic every time they have to make a decision. Because Nicholas Jackson, particularly in the Palace game, some of his link-up play was really, really good. Then every time you gave him a, a shooting opportunity, mm. just blind panic. And Sterling's always... You know, when Sterling's short on confidence, his decision-making is terrible. Whereas Cole Palmer at the minute is the exact opposite. He just doesn't seem to feel fear or, or anxiety at all. So you think of that penalty against City... You know, six minutes into injury time to make it three three, uh, foot three three four four, five five. I don't know. Lots of goals level four 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 four. four, four. Um, <laughs> so yeah, quite apart from his technical ability, that's that's an yeah, that's a great asset to have. That 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 edge. That was the moment where, uh, for the people who think Wilson is some sort of robot where he just slightly malfunctioned for a second. And there was a small chance he could have just kept saying numbers, increasing numbers for the rest of, for the rest of time. In my, defense, in my defense, it's 9am on New Year's Day. And yeah. I have a slight cold and I didn't get to bed till quite late last night. And I Fair drank enough. quite a lot because it was, it was New Year. Yeah, good for you. In many ways, I'm the hero here. Yeah, oh, I believe you are. Reports of Spurs have approached Chelsea for Conor Gallagher. Seems that would really annoy Chelsea fans, Baz. Feels like that would, and he sort of plays the whole time, so I would be surprised. Yeah, I would imagine it would annoy Chelsea fans. It would annoy Maurizio Pochettino, but that's uh, what Chelsea have to do to 
adhere to financial fair play rules. They have to sell homegrown players, uh, academy products for as much as they can. And Conor Gallagher falls into that bracket. And he's a good player. He's going to be in demand. Uh, I would be surprised if that happens in January. Actually, would I be surprised? No, I don't think I would. I'm not sure anything Chelsea would do would surprise me. Uh, in the yeah, transfer you, you, you wouldn't fall off your um, chair if it happened, would you? I mean, it wouldn't be that kind of surprise. How many pints have I <laughs> well, had? I mean, when it that's, it's not a question I ever ask. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, no, I wouldn't fall off my chair. I wouldn't fall off. Yeah, it, it, my jaw would not hit the floor uh, whether I'd fallen off my chair or not. But you can kind of see why it makes a certain amount of sense. But I I would imagine Maurizio Pochettino would would be very annoyed if he was forced to sell him. Well, if they want to bring in a centre forward and and say they're going for Ivan Tony, Ivan Tony is not going to be cheap because Brentford have got absolutely no incentive to sell. Chelsea probably have to clear some FFP space, and the way you do that, we've learned, is to sell academy products, of which Chelsea have two left, who are Gallagher and um, Reese James. So between those two. I don't know, maybe you think Malagosta's playing so well that Rhys James is always injured, so Rhys James is the expendable one. But at any point up to about two months ago, I think you'd have been yeah. saying Conor Gallagher's yeah. the expendable one. And if it's a choice of Conor Gallagher or Ivan Tony, maybe Pochettino is is a bit more inclined to, to take that deal. It's a good point. I did prefer it a little when you were just going 7 7 8 8 9 9. Tom Lockyer released a statement. Um, over the weekend saying, I'm doing very well and feeling very much myself after the cardiac arrest I suffered in Bournemouth. The reason I'm doing so well is all down to the heroic actions of the players, staff, doctors and paramedics. I feel thankful that this happened to me surrounded by those heroes. They saved my life. I'll never forget uh, what you did for me. He also called for more people to learn CPR, saying you never know when you might need it. I cannot stress enough how important it is for as many people as possible to know CPR. It literally saves lives like mine. Please check out the British Heart Foundation website for basics or get yourself on a course. A very good message. To Villa Park then, Villa 3, Burnley 2. Um, Paul Villa were, I mean, they deserved it, but they were lucky. The penalty was a penalty, however angry Vincent Company was. But it, it sort of looked like it bounced out and then bounced back in again. It was like... It, or I thought maybe it hit James Trafford, but it went in. Maybe it's the perfect penalty. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it hit him too, but I, I don't think it did, did it? It was just this weird... I think it was just the universe saying that, that all right, Villa do have to win this one. But um, yeah, it was it was very scrappy. And I think after, after you know, that sense that perhaps this, this momentum is going to dissipate now and, and so like a really, in a way, a really big win for Villa because I think you could easily see... Um, after surrendering that lead to Man United, you could easily see it then, you know, this is where the wheels start to come off. But, but you know, it, it's it's kind of a testament to them that they did win that game where I, I don't think they really have much right to win it, um, but they did. And um, they remain, in my opinion, in the title race. And I'm looking forward to, um, to continuing to say that to cover myself in case they do a Leicester and I can be the one that's smug about it. Yeah. I mean, they are joint top of the league, so like, like surely they are. Yeah. Like, it's, it's pretty, sort of harsh yeah. not to I, be. I know what you mean. Like, it still feels like people saying, "Well, they're not really," but they are. Okay, Liverpool have got a game in hand, but like, that is such a that is such barrier staggering achievement for Villa, isn't it? Just to be where they are at this stage. Yeah, and I don't think anyone saw it coming. It's really a, a damning indictment on, on Steven Gerrard, who, as far as I can tell, is failing currently in his current job in Saudi Arabia. 
Um, and he was predicted to be a future Liverpool manager. It seems zero chance of that happening now. Um, but Unai Emery has done a remarkable job. He sort of takes defeats in his stride uh, after the Man United game when you would expect thought he'd been really downbeat and possibly angry. He he was interviewed and he he was very much looking on the bright side. You know, we have X number of points. Uh, we're doing fine. It was a, a defeat. These things happen, but uh, got away with this one a little bit, I think. But um, it's a good win. Douglas Louise's penalty. I was just checking there because his name is completely uh, escaped me. But the, I was I had Soccer Saturday on or Gillette Soccer Saturday on Sky on, and um, who's the the pundit newish uh, who I always get confused with Michael Brown, but isn't Michael Brown Michael Dawson? Michael Dawson. Yes, thank you. Uh, Michael Dawson was. I think describing the penalty and it just seemed to take so long for Douglas Louise to take this penalty. And he always, my brother, yeah, the rest blowing his whistle. Yeah. He's standing there. Yeah. Still standing there. Little steps, little steps. Yeah. Oh, he's hit the bar. It's come out. No, it's gone in. But yeah, just his description of the penalty seemed to take about 10 minutes. And I was I couldn't wait to see it later on the match of the day. Like, what on earth was he doing that took so long to take this penalty? So, yeah, made a very heavy weather of it, but uh, it went in and Villa got the three points. What did you make, Wilson, of, of Vincent Company afterwards? You know, he was he was angry about lots of things. The penalty, which he thought was too soft. The referee was desperate to make a decision. Uh, the, the sending off, he thought was soft. And there was a handball, which I guess he was right on. He was probably right, but you know the it was in the the, the running stride, um, and it was outside the box anyway. So yeah, to an extent, so what? You know, it's I could the you could you also I think you have to with decisions like that you have to say well you could the referee realistically be expected to give that? Well, the I, the, the body of the defender was was in the way, so you can see why you couldn't see it. That's not why they didn't win the game. The the red card. You know, when you when you've got a yellow card, don't pull somebody's shirt. Like pulling a shirt is is the most obvious, especially with VAR. Or, or, I mean, I guess it doesn't go to VAR, but pulling a shirt you can see really easily. Um, it was a bit like um, the Brighton, the first Brighton penalty against Tottenham. Don't pull somebody's shirt because it's so clear. Uh, there's no, you know, there's there's no subjectivity there. You can see the shirt coming back in the hand. It's going to be given. The penalty was a penalty. Uh, it looked slightly odd because he kicked the bottom of his foot, but. Yeah, you know, maybe he uh, he was it was Duran, wasn't it? Yeah. Maybe he made more of it than there actually was, but he got kicked. It's a penalty. It's a foul. So yeah, I, I think it's just a manager lashing out the ref when you know it's the fates his own team have, have let him down. I mean, I, I think Villa actually we'll see what happens with the presumably the best players in the FA Cup. We got the winter break coming up, so January. You know, the, the 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 pressure of games eases a bit, uh, and maybe they will be able to reset. But I, I think they've looked really tired, probably even since the second half of the Arsenal game. Um, so you saw that the, the game, game in Champions League, you saw that this game, the second half against Manchester United. I think I think fatigue's a big issue there. So they they need a, a reset in in January, and if they don't get that, then I think they will start to 
to topple. Uh, to Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace 3, Brentford 1. Um, uh, Gareth, are Brentford in a relegation fight without necessarily being aware of it? Odorf says, can you once, and I mean this for once, talk about Brentford's injuries? Don't just say Palace were good, weren't they, Barry? Um, it's every part of my soul. <laughs> Desperate to now say Palace were good, weren't they? Look, they had a great start, Brentford, in this game, Baz. But Elise and Eze are just two stunning footballers. And we're on the pitch together, both playing well. It elevates Palace so much. Well, first of all, I'm pretty sure we have highlighted Brentford's injury crisis uh, in the past, or their their absentee list. Ivan Tony obviously isn't injured, but we have established he's uh, massively overweight and forgotten how to play football. But yeah, Rico Henry's out, uh, Buemo's out, uh, and, and I'm pretty sure it's something we, we have sort of caveated their performance with. Lots of lots of teams have injury crises or long lists of absentees. Newcastle, Spurs, Brighton, Manchester United. Um, you just got to get on with it. And I don't think Brentford were... Well, I would say they were pretty bad in this game, uh, but they could have got something from it. And maybe 3-1 isn't a fair reflection of the, the way the game ebbed and flowed. Yeah, uh, Alisi and, and Eze were class acts. I've never really been sure quite what Jordan Ayew is for, but he seems to be playing pretty well for, for Crystal Palace this season. Uh, and I think his good performances maybe get overlooked because everyone's so excited about Eze and Elise, who are comparatively shiny and new. But um, yeah, Brentford, I think, are in a relegation battle because it's difficult to see where where the next win is coming from. Um, they're normally a very well organized, disciplined team, and who who make great use of set pieces. That doesn't seem to be there at the moment. Um, but I presume Thomas Frank has a hell of a lot of credit in the bank uh, with Brentford fans, Brentford's owner, and they may well turn things around. But. Uh, yeah, they are in trouble. I was just going to say, would that credit be in the Frank Bank then, Bernie oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. No, that's okay. Um, a bit more spiky Roy Hodgson um, when he was asked about the Steve Cooper rumours. He said, I'm 76 years of age. I've been working 47 years. I've got a CBE for my services. I've got a CV, which is incredible. So my final answer to you is it makes no difference. I'm all here for Roy. Just, you know sticking out there saying, I'm good at this. Well, I mean, the thing about Roy, he, he clearly just doesn't give a shit. Does he? You know, you fire me if you want. I don't care. I'll be grand. I'm 76. I'm rich. And it doesn't oh, matter. Oh, I, I think he cares. I think he, I agree with you. Do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. Otherwise, why would he be doing it? You know, he doesn't need to do it. You know, and, you know, like... You know, and, and, you know, he's got him and Ray Lewington. They just, they just, you know, that is a cliche, but they just, some people just bleed football. I mean, he is, he is an urbane guy. We got criticised the other day, didn't we? You know, he's like, he has, like, he has interests outside of the game, but like, he needs this. I think he needs football, you know, and all power to him. I mean, such a, it's such a full on job. It's mad to be doing it at 76. Be a bit like being the president of the United States at 80, right? I mean, like, who, no one would ever do that, would they? Well, I, I remember when my father retired and like we were asking him to retire for ages because, you know, he was sort of working as a country vet. His reflexes were getting a bit slow. He kept getting 
hurting farmyard accidents. And we were saying, look, he got to retire. Just take it. And, and he, he was afraid to retire because he thought he'd be bored. And But once he did finally retire, he absolutely loved it and wished he'd retired about 10 years previously. <laughs> so, you know, maybe Roy needs to learn a lesson for Sam. That's a message for Roy. Yeah. Uh, well, that'll do for part two. Part three will begin at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Spurs three, Bournemouth one. Uh, so they're a point behind Man City and Arsenal, three points off the top of the league. So they're in the conversation. I don't know, Paul, are they in your title race like Villa are or not quite? Yeah, no, they are. They are. I think they're going to struggle, to be honest. I think, and I think losing Sun is going to be a, a problem for them. Um, what, what, what also will continue to be a problem is this amazing inability to just put a game away in a sensible, calm fashion. Um, that that Bournemouth game was insane. How how they managed to make that as dramatic as it was. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, the first half Wilson was so fast. I I was I'm still not convinced I wasn't watching it at 1.5 speed. It was just all these people running around everywhere, and it was mainly Bournemouth players running towards the Tottenham goal. Like this, this was not a comfortable victory by any stretch. The the four two defeat to Brighton that was a bigger margin of defeat than four two made it look. Uh, and this, I think, was a smaller margin of victory than three-one made it look. But uh, Bournemouth are really good. I, mm. Bournemouth are one of my favourite teams to watch. I mean, that, you know, Barry said at the start of the season, Bournemouth the team he's most looking forward to watching. Looked a bit weird for two or three months, but now, yeah, if you had a Bournemouth season ticket, you'd, you'd you know, you'd be laughing. It's uh, they they play really good football. Tottenham play really good football. So I mean, the game wasn't on live, so only, only seen highlights. But it looked an amazing game. It could have gone either way, and Tottenham for once. Took their chances, um, but yeah, but losing. I mean, Sars injury, but you know, he'd be off to to join up with the centre goal squad anyway, even if he is fit. Son going to to the Asia Cup, those are big losses to a to a slender yeah. squad. Basuma as well, yeah. Those are big losses to to a squad that's already sort of creaking a bit. So uh, you wonder how they will come through January, February. I mean, there, there aren't many Premier League games in January. That's that's the only thing you'd say. There's only, only two more, I think, per team. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, the, the winter break is split, so there's like five games one weekend and five weeks another. So we don't get a winter break, but they do. Um, uh, Giovanni Lascelles played well. His pass to Son with the outside of his left foot was sort of the the nicest moment of this game. Uh, Benson Cook came back for Spurs as well. Looked a bit sleepy, but he's a very talented player. Troy says, as Barry seems to be able to get bell peppers to work in an Irish stew, how would he propose to get Richarlison to work in the Spurs front three? He did score again, Richarlison, but I, I get a sense with him, a sort of similarity to Nicholas Jackson in that kind of a bit panicky, not over-reliable. I would say that is unfair, but... Okay. Yeah, I could kind of see where you're coming from, and maybe Richarlison, who is vastly more experienced and and older than Nicholas Jackson, should be less of a headless chicken. I don't think he is as much a headless chicken as Nicholas Jackson. I think Nicholas Jackson will come good. With that analogy, were you saying he he would develop a head <laughs> as a chicken? Um, yeah, I hadn't planned on on taking the analogy any further. No, I taking I the analogy apart <laughs> to this extent, and now now I'm confused. Um, and at what age do you think a vet would cease to be able to catch a headless chicken? 
61. So that's, that's how they should test vets to retire, isn't it? They should say, here's a, off you go. You can get this one. You can do another year. Like, like the Rocky montage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. So, yeah, just <laughs> move okay. on. That's okay. We did see an a, a angry Ange Postacoglu on the touchline, although he played it down afterwards. Yeah, I, I, like Wilson, I only saw highlights of this game because, unfortunately, it wasn't shown live in the UK. I wish it had been because I was... I would have liked to have seen the whole thing, but um, I, I did see there was some sort of kerfuffle involving Ange, but I don't know what it was all about. Well, I think that, is it Valise, the, the young striker, had come on and he was injured, and I think some Bournemouth, uh, this might be, this is just guessing, some Bournemouth coaching staff thought he was making it up, but he was clearly knacked and had to come off. And so... I think that's what it was about. But there was a lot of po- pointing and people holding Ange back going, it's not worth it, Brian. Just leave it. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it was fine after that. Wolves batted Everton 3-0. Um, Gary O'Neill saying afterwards uh, that he'd actually tried to have it postponed due to player fatigue, which producer Joel suggests is what the kids would call a flex. I mean, Paul, they were, they were so much better than Everton in this game. They really were. And I think, I mean, Everton just looked knackered. Ever- Everton, like... Um... As you as you'd probably expect, look knackered after what they've done over the last few few weeks. Um, they're definitely in need of a break. Um, yeah, and and I, I think to be honest, this is this is where it gets really interesting with this points deduction. Is that suddenly you're looking at Everton, and again they look like they're in the relegation mire. And it's it you know I'm not going to talk from a financial or rules perspective, but for the players it must feel pretty unfair to still be in that mire. You know when when you look at some of the wins they've got, the fact they should could be on 26 points mid-table, you know, with the likes of Bournemouth and Wolves. Um, and instead, they're, they're still very much in, in a scrap for their lives. It, it must at some point start to catch up with the players mentally as much as physically, surely, at this point. Yeah, they didn't have a shot on target. And actually, like in those previous games that they probably should have won at Spurs, they pushed City at least for 45 minutes. But this game, they did look hopeless. It's worth remembering on the Wolves front, Wilson, you know, that Ruben Neves left, Raul Jimenez, Matthias Nunes, Nathan Collins, they all left in the summer you know so for Gary O'Neill to be doing this Neto's been out a while as well to be fair Nathan Collins did come back last week (laughs) for a brief cameo (laughs) yes but that aside those two passes aside you know just hats (laughs) off to Gary (coughs) O'Neill sorry They had a great Christmas. Um, <laughs> Wilson went out to celebrate New Year's Eve and he's come back with tuberculosis. <laughs> Where the hell were you? 1870. It's just at home. Just I had, I had some had some lovely champagne and uh, a, a very nice uh, bottle of Cote d'Or. It was uh, it was a good night. Clearly, do, do you need a glass of water? Yeah, Wolves had a great Christmas. <laughs> um. Uh, hopefully Joel can work with that. <laughs> Our apologies to Wolves fans. We will we will we will do you better service next time. Uh, Man City beat Sheffield United two nil. Um, uh, look, we've established that they are now the favourites, aren't they, Paul? Because they've just got all their players. De Bruyne coming back. Haaland, I think, is back relatively soon. I mean, I don't know that for sure. And like when they have all these, like Rodri is just so elite. You know, you don't need to add goals to his game. Like He's got everything else. You know, you've got suddenly Oscar Bob appears out of nowhere, plays this glorious weighted pass. Foden in the 10 is amazing. So, yeah, good luck, everyone else. Yeah, 
No, they are. They are. Um, they are definitely the favourites. They're not losing anyone uh, in January, I think. And um, they've got they've got Newcastle. They've got to go to Newcastle. But then you know the the fixture list looks pretty kind. I think it's Burnley, Brentford, uh, Everton. You know, it, it's a very nice looking fixture list for them for the next few weeks. While other teams have it much tougher. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's no. You don't have to be. Um, a tactical genius like Wilson to to pull that one out and say that Man City are probably the favourites. Um, the, the, I'd say they are at the moment, but I am very much appreciating that there is a race, you know. And I think yeah. you know there is a race there, and and that's better than it's been in the past for us. So yeah. I'm clinging on to that. No, um, please do. Me too. Uh, Liverpool, Newcastle's tonight. Uh, West Ham, Brighton on Tuesday. We'll talk about both those games on Wednesday. Uh, Troy Townsend, MBE for services to being totally honest. Good man. Um, uh, yes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, of all the panellists, he was probably up there as most likely. I would have been slightly surprised um, looking down this Zoom call. Yeah, it's quite weird. I'm, I'm very much not a fan of the honours system and, you know, the the Liz Trust resignation honours list. Anyone who accepts one is should be thoroughly ashamed of themselves. And yet, when I heard uh, Troy got his MBE, I did a, an air punch and a yes. So uh, I'm a just a, a massive hypocrite. So well done, Troy. Yeah. I'm very proud of him. It's worth pointing out, Troy Townsend was not on Liz Truss's resignation. Yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> List of awards. Um, uh, anyway, for services to tackling discrimination um, and promoting inclusion in football, uh, good for you, Troy. We're very proud of you. Uh, Jamie says, if you don't dedicate more time to talking about O'Broth's backup goalkeeper coming on as an outfield player and scoring a screamer than the Wolves-Everton game, I wonder what's happened to the podcast I know and love. Well, it's not difficult given what we've said. <laughs> what we've... I think we've already given him more coverage. <laughs> Ali Adams was brought on as a striker in our Broth's game against Wraith Rovers. They were 2-0 down. He scored a, a like a swivelling volley, dipping volley. Absolutely stunning. Wasn't it? Was he brought on as a striker in the way Stuart Pearce brought on David James as striker and left John Macken on the bench, which I think more or less finished John Macken's career? Uh, I, I Forgive me for not being certain about Arbroath's squad, but I don't believe there were any other players they could bring on outfield. Yeah, I, I think they, they'd used all their outfield subs they had available. Then a defender was injured and they thought he could do you know the the least damage to them by playing him up front. And what a hit it was. Uh, he also scored a 55-yard free kick before in the past. So he's got history for this. He scored... Oh, if, you, if, you, right. if you have a look at this, it's an amazing goal. I think it's the first goal he ever scored. Um, it's an absolute masterpiece. So... I reckon he knew what he was doing. I reckon he, he oh, fifty-five. Yeah. I reckon he fancied himself. There's a bit himself. of luck in. <laughs> I think once a free kick gets past thirty-five yards, there's a bit of hit and hope about it. If you ask me, um, Paul. Anyway, talk to us about Nauru. All right. So, um, if you insist, there are um six sovereign states in the world that are not in a FIFA confederation. Um, so you have the Vatican, Monaco, Palau, Federated States of Micronesia, Marshall Islands, and Nauru. Uh, and they've all actually had football associations at various points. Um, apart from Monaco and Vatican, they are all also in Oceania. So you have these little nations that are off the football map. Uh, and Nauru had never actually had a proper FA, but they did have a sort of one by name that was inactive, which was brilliantly called the Nauru Amateur Soccer Association. So it was NASA. Um, which, which oh, I just good. think they must have done on purpose. Um, they've never fielded a team in any football match. Uh, only them and the Marshall Islands can say that. 
Um, and their only pitch is like a rock hard Aussie rules pitch. Um, but now, as of last week, they have um, a British guy on the board called Gareth Johnson. And he has brought in a UK coach called Charlie Pomroy, who works in Cambodia at a club called Angkor City. Um, and they are trying to re, well, effectively jumpstart football in Nauru on this tiny little island in the Pacific, uh, the world's smallest island nation. Uh, and quite excitingly, they've got an ex-Premier League player, and they won't say who it is, but I, I know who it is, uh, lined up to join their um, coaching team this year in, the, in a bid to play their first ever game. Which is, which is actually really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm also quite biased about this region because obviously I, I um, started out in Micronesia. And so I also have to plug the fact that um, you might remember last year we were flogging football shirts. I was hawking shirts mm. on this very, this very show, in yeah. fact, mic- micro cup shirts. So uh, Federated States of Micronesia, another one of these uh, nations is not in FIFA, but still plays football. They are launching their national football shirt, their first national football shirt since they had one in 2015 when they played their last national game. Uh, and it didn't go particularly well. They lost 46-0 to Vanuatu uh, in 2015. So they're relaunching the national team uh, in a bid to erase the memory of that by winning a game. And so they need to sell these football shirts, which are being made by Stings, uh, S-T-I-N-G-Z, uh, Prowear. And they are making these beautiful national team shirts that are being launched in the next few days. And all the sales are going towards trying to take a team from the Federated States of Micronesia to go and play someone and actually win to finally put to bed this 46-0 defeat, which is somewhat sitting on the consciousness over there. Um, send us all the details on and we'll, of course, tell everyone on the pod, Paul. That is a uh, 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 love supporting these things. Um, Wilson, two things for you quickly. Solomon Rondon, what's happened to the greatest player in the world? He's joined Pachuca in Mexico. So he helped River to the title last, last season. I think he got 10 goals in 30 games for them. Uh, he's 34 now, um, but it's it's a it's an exciting time to be Salman Rondon because Venezuela, well, he's, he's Venezuela's all-time leading goal scorer. I think it has been for some time, uh, but they now look like they might qualify for the World Cup in 2026. Partly because you know nine and a half of the ten teams in Commonwealth qualify or something, but partly because they're actually winning games. So hopefully he could be there to lead Venezuela in their first ever World Cup in 2026. Uh, and he'll be and he'll be playing for Pachuca next season. I'd suggest it's always an exciting time <laughs> to be Salomon London. That would be my feeling. Um, uh, finally, we had lots of questions about this. I, I, um, uh, in the quiz, in the Football Weekly book, which is still available, it's gone down pretty well, um, uh, there are f- 16 questions and only 15 of them have the answers. So the question, <laughs> question 16 at the 1966 World Cup, anthems were played only before the opening match and the final because A, there was a musician strike, B, the organisers want to ensure games kicked off promptly for television, C, the authorities didn't want to play the anthem of North Korea, which had not been formally recognised as a nation by the UK, or D, anthems were deemed overly militaristic. Uh, what is, what's your guess, Barry? I suspect you haven't even remembered the options. I'm going to go C. C, Paul? <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, I'm going for C too. That sounds vaguely realistic. Okay. Wilson. C is correct. Well done. Well done. One point for Paul, one point for Barry. It's a draw, and that'll do for today. Um, Thank you, Wilson. (laughs) Cheers, thank you. Thanks, Baz. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Cheers. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. We'll be back on Wednesday. This is The Guardian.